opportunity to talk to Leah Nobel over Zoom video. Leah was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, which according to her is most notably known for heat stroke and chimichangas. But she talked to us about how she got into music. She ends up moving to Flagstaff, Arizona to go to college for broadcast journalism. And while there is when she really grew an interest in songwriting. She tells us about how her dad actually kind of orchestrated her getting her music in front of a record producer, which then led to her signing her first publishing deal. She talks to us about her different alter egos, writing music for TV and film, the incredible amount of work and the concept behind her record, Running in Borrowed Shoes, where she interviewed over a hundred people and wrote songs about their different journeys. She tells us about the massive success of her song, Beginning, Middle, End, which was featured in the massive Netflix film, To All the Boys. And she also talks to us about her most recent EP, Love, Death, Etc. You can watch our interview with Leah Nobel on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Leah Nobel. This podcast is all about you and your journey in music, and we'll talk about the, the new record. Cool. Sweet. I did see you're uh, from Phoenix, Arizona. Were you born and raised there? Yes, I was. Yep. Talk to me about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Phoenix is very hot. Okay. As, uh, most people know, but um, yeah, I had a happy childhood. Um, my parents were very encouraging of every creative endeavor that I had. And um, yeah, I have fond memories of growing up in Arizona. Uh, I went to college in Northern Arizona in, in a little town called Flagstaff, okay. um, which was, um, you know, Arizona is really funny because you can get like two hours from Phoenix and you have a completely different climate and setting. Flagstaff is kind of more like Colorado, I would say, in terms of weather. So Interesting. Yeah. Because um, I did read it's it's known for heat stroke and chimichangas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be Phoenix. But Oh, uh, not not yeah, Flagstaff. Flagstaff <laughs> is a little different, but um but yeah, I uh I miss Arizona. I, I feel like when you grow up in the desert, all you want to see is green. And mm -hmm. then if you're away from it for a while, the, you're reminded of its beauty. Sure. So I'm from San Diego. We'd go out to Arizona quite often. Yeah. So I know the I know the area a little bit. Cool. Yeah. So uh, just where's University of Arizona? Is that in Flagstaff or am I thinking of a different spot? That is in Tucson, Arizona. Tucson, okay. Southern southern arizona so what school did you go to in flagstaff i went to northern arizona university okay yeah did you go there for music no nope. i studied broadcast journalism oh sure i remember reading that yeah very cool. okay <laughs> <laughs> well let's rewind a bit so how did you get into music originally um i always loved being creative as a child and i I don't know, when I was a child, I wanted to be an actor and I took acting classes and went on auditions and much to my mom's chagrin, she never wanted me to be involved in that industry. But um, but she'd take you anyway? Yeah, because I asked. and I, I love that. Yeah, and it wasn't something that obviously she forced on me or anything. Um, 
But my point is I've always been creative and I always loved to sing when I was little. Um, and when I was in junior high, I started to get involved in musical theater and choir. And when I was 13, I asked for a guitar for my birthday. And um, I started taking lessons, I think probably around like 14 or 15. And I had a guitar teacher when I was in high school that started encouraging me to write my own music because he was, he was basically like tabbing out songs that I wanted to learn and, and, oh, sure. and helping me learn them. So he was like, you know, you could totally do this. You could totally write something on your own. And um, I was very uh, hesitant at first. I had a lot of resistance for some reason. Um, but when I started to try writing, it came very easily to me. And mm -hmm. I kind of just discovered this new passion. So um, yeah, I started writing music when I was 18, which I think compared to a lot of people is kind of late. Mm -hmm. um, and it honestly was just a hobby. I don't think I ever envisioned it being a career. Um, and I had put um, some music on MySpace back in the day. And um, at the time, my dad was working as a stockbroker and one of his clients um, was this elderly woman who had started to have health problems. So her son took over her accounts and my her MySpace dad, account? <laughs> no, her uh, investment account. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so funny. Um, yeah, so my dad was just talking to him one day and was like, what do you do? And he um, is a record producer in wow. Nashville and a session musician. And my dad being a, the, the supportive parent that he is, you know, mm -hmm. obviously – Parents are usually a little biased, but he's like, I think my daughter has talent. And he sent him a bunch of stuff that I had recorded just like in my bedroom and um, he really liked it. So I got the opportunity to make my first record when I was in college um, and I came to Nashville to record. And I don't know, I just had one of those aha moments when I was in the studio and I was like, wow, I really, really love this. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how it began. Um, okay. But yeah, <laughs> and that's is that, that's not the record that you put out in 2019, right? This is a while back. No, this is a record they put out in 2010. Okay, yeah, that's what I was I was wondering about that. Okay, so 2010, <laughs> yeah. you put out a record in Nashville. Yeah. Um, did you you came to Nashville to write the record? No, I wrote the record myself. I just came to Nashville to record it. To record it, gotcha. Yeah. And you were in college at this point. Yeah. Okay. And what would you, did you finish school or at that point, did it kind of take off for you? No, I always wanted to finish school. So, I okay. did. um, yep. I graduated early with a degree in broadcast journalism. Um, I think I kind of discovered about halfway through my college career that that actually wasn't something I wanted to do. Um, but a lot of the skills I learned in college, I actually have used, um, as a musician, which is that. I worked for the radio station, so I learned how to operate microphones and sound, how to mm -hmm. edit sound. I learned how to like use Final Cut Pro and all these things that, especially when you're an independent musician, which technically I guess I'm not anymore, but I used to be, mm -hmm. you have to do so much of that stuff yourself. And so mm -hmm. I actually feel like it was one of the best majors I could have possibly had. 
and it taught me how to be comfortable in front of the camera and yeah it was sure worth it. <laughs> and especially right now right i mean you probably had to utilize a lot of those skills to yeah. stay almost relevant online and or try to yeah. compete with everyone else online because no one's out touring at this point sure yeah yeah i, I went to school for the same thing uh and i that's interesting that you were would you, you went to you worked at the radio station at college or would did you have yeah. any passion to do that or um I enjoyed it, but I think I just knew that there's something about broadcast that I felt limited by creatively, um, mm -hmm. especially like broadcast television, which I think I had originally thought that I wanted to do that because I was like, oh, I love writing. Oh, I like being on camera. This is a great, I love being creative. This is a great combination of those things. And, um, you're probably familiar with this, but writing for broadcast for TV is basically the blandest type of writing you could possibly do. You're just mm -hmm. like trying to get to the point real quick. Right. Um, you got to keep people's attention totally. real quick. Sure. Yeah. And I just kind of discovered that there wasn't enough room for creativity for me there. But um, yeah, but in college, I, even though I was like, I would like to try music, I think I was I'm a careful person in a lot of ways and I was like I should have a backup I needed I want a degree just in mm -hmm. case this doesn't work out so yeah that's nice yeah <laughs> I felt the same thing with with television and, and I liked radio because there was a little bit more freedom but then when I got I worked for a corporate station the freedom then, was gone right, it was out exactly. the window there and it was like, you cannot yeah. you have to you're only going to talk for this long and you got to shut up after that and like, you know and then I worked for an independent station for a lot of years in San Diego where it was for a while, they were really cool about letting you kind of be, be yourself. Yeah. And, and I felt like there was something to be said about that. And then you can be more creative. And I love that. But when it started to constrict again, it was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't for me. And I could yeah, totally see where you're coming from with that. At least, you know, with your music, you can do whatever, the, whatever you want. Right. Um, to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. So I love, so, that. I love that. So once this producer record executive kind of got his hands on your album and, and you go record it in Nashville, what's the next thing that you do? Yeah. So let's see. I made, I think I made two or three albums with him. Mm -hmm. um, and I um, signed with a manager that he had affiliation with Um shortly after that soon after that i moved to austin texas and i okay. started playing music in austin um first i started off at like little listing rooms and coffee houses and then i started playing with a band and towards the end of my time in austin i just kind of realized that i needed to be somewhere with some more industry at the time and actually now too the ladder that you can climb in austin just kind of has an ending basically mm -hmm. sure um, if you don't leave and so um yeah i i really enjoy my time there it austin is a really creative music scene and a lot of people just make music and play music there for the joy of it which i mm -hmm. think is you can tell and um i had i don't know i got great practice there learning how to play with a band and 
manage personalities and <laughs> what sure <laughs> but, um, yeah so at the tail end of my time in Austin I started working with licensing companies um and started um writing some more tailored music for licensing in sync and also having my artist stuff be pitched for those purposes mm -hmm. um and when I moved to Nashville I had a different manager who was based in New York and she had some connections with some publishing companies and she started setting me up basically on rights with people um, for more like television in sync or pop based writing. And um, that's how I got introduced to Big Yellow Dog and ultimately signed a publishing deal with them in 2016. Wow. Yep. When you write for sync or for television, is it a different like hat you have to put on as far as like when you're writing and oh. is that difficult to kind of switch when you're when you're doing that as far as your songwriting goes um it is a different it's a completely different exercise i feel like um especially because i'm i'm a type of writer and artist just on my own that um really loves words i mm -hmm. guess that's like the the emphasis is always on the lyrics and so when you're writing things with the intention of synchronization in mind you have to remember that your song is supposed to enhance a scene without distracting from it mm -hmm. so it's a very different type of writing um and no i don't find it hard to switch back and forth because i've compartmentalized things pretty well um I have some alter egos that I make different types of music under mm -hmm. and um, I know like who they are and what their personalities are and um, what kind of like what their sonic landscapes are. So I think that um, it was actually an easy transition for me um, because I have a separation between like my sort of sacred art that is mine and this other thing that I do. And mm -hmm. I think people often run into problems when um, they don't have that separation, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, with a song like, I mean, you had a huge song recently that was on to, you know, the Netflix show or movie. Yeah. And was that a song that you had just written because it was a song you felt like, right? I mean, you wrote for yourself and that became this big thing or was it kind of wrote to pitch? It was written to a pitch, yeah. Oh. Yeah, so um, I received a brief from the music supervisors through my publisher, and it was very, very vague. So it was like, hi, we've got this new romantic comedy. Um, I didn't know the name of it. I didn't know really anything other About than... It. Yeah, they, were, they like included a couple keywords that they were looking for and a feeling that they were looking for. And my collaborator and I, Quinn Redman, that day, we just kind of used that as a guidepost for what we made. And um, I think the song became something emotional and honest when we sort of inserted like anecdotes from our lives in there. Mm -hmm. um, but basically what happened was that song was pitched to the music supervisors and it was on like their short list, I think, for a while. And then once they chose it, we work with them for almost 
I think like a year and a half tailoring it to the movie. So Interesting. it was, speci- it was actually quite different from a lot of other things that I do where it was really specifically made for that movie. And um, there are actually three versions of it on the soundtrack. Um, one of those versions is a cover by a man called the greeting committee. So they did like their own thing, but um, there's like a pop version essentially in the movie at the end of the film. And mm-hmm. then, there's um it's called like the i think it's called the always and forever version which is a more kind of cinematic um version the acoustic version yeah it starts out acoustic and then it has like a big string arrangement towards the end and mm-hmm. that one especially like we saw the footage in the film and specifically made choices to tailor the song to enhance that footage interesting yeah so some i know sometimes that you know music supervisors will just grab a song that they think works yeah and And, that that happens probably like 99 percent of the time so this is very this is a very different scenario yeah interesting okay well i'm curious to know when you got signed to this publishing company in 2016 did you were you still writing records as you know under your name and putting out like eps or anything like that or, or records or was it at that point kind of you just pivoted to more of the pitch world yeah that's a great question so when i signed with them they specifically knew that i was both an artist who just made sort of pure art and also was interested in this other lane and so it wasn't one or the other they signed me for both Um, okay and big yellow dog has a label division and so i was able to make my personal art under their label division um and and yeah, so I'm, I kind of have like these <laughs> multiple personalities, like I mentioned before, mm-hmm. um, that I make music under. And some of them have found a lot of success in the sync world, which I'm very grateful for. But um, they, some of that music was um, like the impetus basically for my deal. Um, so it's pretty cool. Okay. When did, so what, tell me about these alter egos. I know you have one that, um, you have a little cheesecake, but uh, tell me about the one that has a lot of the sync deals. Yeah. Um, her name is Hale. Uh-huh. Um, and when I'm Hale, I dress completely different. I wear a black wig and a nose ring and leather. <laughs> and she's kind of like my, I don't know, more edgy, cooler, dark side. Um, right. Yeah. And... I change my voice pretty significantly when I'm Hale. I sing differently than I do as Leah. Um, and Hale is actually just an artist in a way. Um, you know, I do some kind of more art-centric things for Hale, and then I also do more tailored things for Hale um, based on you know certain opportunities. But I feel very grateful she's found a nice lane um, kind of in the ad world and mm-hmm. um it's it's super fun and it's like I mentioned before part of the reason why it's so fun is that I have a distinction between who she is and the music she makes and who I am and um that has allowed me just a tremendous amount of creative freedom mm-hmm. um, I find it interesting interesting that you wanted to be an actor kind of growing up and now yeah. you almost get to do that in both I worlds do. in music and you know as a as Hale you get to 
portray a totally different personality. Yeah, it's so fun. My dad made a comment recently. When I was little, I used to dress up a lot as like characters and I would make videos with like the old VHS cameras and mm -hmm. edit, edit them on VCRs. some really early software on my dad's like PC. <laughs> and he said something, he's like, you know, you were always dressing up and playing characters and now you're still dressing up and playing characters. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a full circle moment. Sure. When was Hale born? Like, do you remember, again, how do you pitch that to your label or your publishing company? You're like, hey, I've got this great idea. And you just show up in a wig and a nose ring, a leather jacket. <laughs> uh, so like the physical persona really came later. So um, before I signed my deal, I had just like started writing um, with more people. And I basically wrote this song that Big Yellow Dog loved. Mm -hmm. And I, but I knew um, that it wasn't for me. Like it was, it, it wasn't, it would be really confusing if I, for people who consumed my music, if I didn't have these different characters because of what I mentioned before, which is that the like style of that song was radically different from the Leah Nobel stuff. My voice mm -hmm. sounded different. It was processed differently. And so I just came to them and I said, Hey, I think I'd like to create an alter ego. Um, and this is that was like the first song as my alter ego because it really didn't feel like it belonged to me personally. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, Hale is just Leah reversed. Oh, good point. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most people don't. But yeah, so that's kind of how I came up with that name. Okay. And then Lil Cheesecake. How did Lil Cheesecake come about? Yeah, a little cheesecake came about because once again, I was just writing, writing for fun, kind of writing without an agenda. And I just made a totally insane song that sounded way different from Leah or Hale. And I was like, well, this is something else. And little cheesecake is really like a place for my sense of humor, I would say. Um, her songs are like very left field pop um i call them like brat rap i guess um <laughs> i don't know if that's a genre or i if i just created it but uh, sounds like a good genre <laughs> yeah yeah um and then it was like it was a joke in high school i remember people would be like what would your rapper name be and um mine was a little cheesecake uh so that's that's how i made that choice um was there a lot of Lils around at the time when you created this this name, or <laughs> or was it really just Lil Wayne? Because he kind of birthed like seven thousand plus Lils on online, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. I mean, Lil Cheesecake was only created maybe like I don't know four years ago. Okay, years ago. so there's still a plethora of Lils oh, out there oh, at yeah. the time. Probably not the wisest uh, <laughs> choice for a name, but honestly... Um, but I don't think there's another little cheesecake. No, I don't believe so. So I feel, I feel fortunate about that. And uh, yeah, it's really just like, I don't know, something that I have in my professional career and my life that just brings me a lot of joy mm -hmm. and... I feel very fortunate to have those things. So it keeps things interesting and fun. Sure. 
And you're, I mean, you're, you're funny. Let's be honest. I, like right when I was reading your bio, the fact that you put home of the, of oh. Heatstroke and uh, Chimichangas, I was like, okay, this is funny. And then, you know, further down the line, I realized that you did improv comedy. Was that something that you yeah. picked up later? Or was that something you were always interested in, like growing up? Yeah. So I started doing that as a hobby when I lived in Austin, Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I just totally fell in love with it. And um, I started performing in Nashville as well with a company called Third Coast Comedy. And before the pandemic, I was doing tons of shows and rehearsals and, and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, improv, like, I don't know. I would recommend it to everyone, um, especially people who struggle with stage fright or being shy, um, mm -hmm. which actually that's a component of something that I struggle with. So I um, it's really good for me. It's like therapy. And are you in Nashville now? Are you still in? Yeah. So I actually split my time between Nashville and Eastern Tennessee. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So you're in Tennessee now. Yeah, I'm in Tennessee. We live in this really old farmhouse in the country in East Tennessee, and that's where I am now um, because my fiance is going to medical school. So wow. Um, so yeah, well, I still have a place in Nashville, and I really kind of bounce back in between depending on where I'm needed. But okay. I will say that the pandemic, um, you know, changed the structure of collaboration in a lot of ways, and um, I. Pre-pandemic, I already knew that I'd be splitting time between these two locations. Um, but mm -hmm. I thought I thought that I would have to be in Nashville to collaborate. And that when I was in East Tennessee, I would have to do production on my own. And it would just be my personal stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's been cool because um, I can collaborate with people in person. But I can also collaborate remotely. Because sure. the pandemic taught us all how to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. Is it different? I'm sure it's different, but explain to me how you feel about doing co-writes over the over Zoom. I feel two ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, for people that I had a relationship, a creative working relationship and a rapport with pre-pandemic, uh -huh. working over Zoom is really easy. And sometimes a producer will just text me something and we don't even get on Zoom. Oh, uh, so sure. He'll, like text me a track. I listen to it, I'll write the lyrics, I'll do vocals, and I send it back. And then he's like, cool. And then I send him the stems. <laughs> so that's super easy. Right. Um, now, that's not everyone's cup of tea. Like, you know, some people, I think a lot of times when I work with producers, we kind of lean into, we give each other space in the lanes that we shine best in. And um, that is what I believe to be kind of the most productive use of my time. But mm -hmm. sometimes, sometimes everyone's craving more collaboration. So sometimes I'm on zoom uh, with someone and we're sending ideas back and forth. And we're, there's a um, kind of like a plugin for DAWs. It's called audio movers. You can um, stream kind of like live stream uh, the audio that you're working on. So there's no delay via zoom. So, oh, cool. yeah, sometimes it looks like that. I will say I, I do feel challenged sometimes when I'm working with someone new over zoom, um, because we don't have that relationship, um, history when we enter the right mm -hmm. 
and sometimes there's like technology problems and you know just some awkwardness perhaps right is it hard to vibe with somebody that you're not in sometimes when you're that you're not you know in the room with or over over this yeah it can be it's kind of like i i find that collaboration in general is very similar to dating sure (laughs) (laughs) it's like sometimes you meet someone and you're like okay, I could work with them again. And then mm-hmm. other times you meet someone where we're, you're like, wow, we have this like crazy synergy, you know? Uh-huh. And then sometimes you collaborate with someone that you're just not a fit and it's nothing personal. It's just maybe you have different tastes, you have different ways of working, uh-huh. your personalities don't mesh. So I feel pretty fortunate. I have had, you know, I didn't come from like co-writing culture. So uh-huh. when I started making music and writing music it was always a solo endeavor and um i still do a lot of solo writing and i i love doing that but um i i actually really enjoy collaboration especially when it's one of those like synergy people sure we just really speak each other's language and Mm -hmm. uh, we can kind of like lean into what our strong suits are which is fun that's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. We, my family and I, we just moved to Nashville like about six months ago or oh, wow. less than six months ago. Yeah. We moved in the midst of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I feel your pain. I, yeah. I, I moved to Eastern Tennessee during the pandemic and it was a really strange period uh-huh. of time. So yeah. we came from San Diego, Southern California, which was like totally, it was just different. a different world. Yeah. yeah. Moving here. Was, but we love it here. It's amazing. It's so Good. cool. I'm yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about this, you know, this record you put out with all these interviews, running in borrowed shoes, like how did this concept come up and, and tell me how, you know, tell me about this. Yeah. Well, I will say that that's probably like the best thing that I've ever done in my life. And, uh, something that I just enjoyed tremendously making, um, it's kind of what I mentioned before, which is like, I keep my endeavors pretty separate. So that was definitely like a pure artistic Leah Nobel endeavor mm-hmm. um, that didn't have really any other agenda than, than just that. And um, did you know going into it, that's how you wanted to approach it? Like I'm going to interview a bunch of people and then kind of write a song. Yeah. So basically the idea was conceived because I, there's this expectation, especially currently, I feel like TikTok has kind of enhanced this problem, which which is that we expect um, creatives or artists to be like content creators who basically have to generate an endless stream of content and songs. And um, what happens sometimes is that that push for just like endless music, which is also kind of like a side effect of streaming, I think, um, means that sometimes you don't live in between writing. Like you, you're, (laughs) you haven't lived life almost because you're just constantly like in this bubble of creation. So I was kind of at that point where people were encouraging me to make another record and I just didn't feel very personally inspired. And Mm -hmm. I also, I write fiction all the time. So that's a chunk of what I do is completely fictional. Um, but I wasn't 
really fired up about just writing a record full of fiction. And so I sort of got this idea um, to, you know, when you see a film and it's like based on a true story, I, right. I was like watching something and I was like, oh, I just had like a light bulb moment. And I was like, what if I make a record that is sourced from other people's experiences? Um, and, you know, with a journalism background, there were all these little things that, you know, piqued my interest. I was like, oh, and then I got the idea to interview people. And then I was like, how many people should I interview? And I needed a, a solid number to really get like this landscape of human experience. And I tried really hard. I mean, some of the interviews that I conducted were random. So I would go to like the YMCA or a library or some sort of public space with like a sign basically that said, come talk to me. I'm interviewing people. Really? Um, yep. Yeah. So I would say probably like 70% of my interviews were generated randomly. And so I didn't have as much control over like how diverse those interviews could be, but they sort of ended up being diverse anyway, because I would go to different places where, you know, different types of people were basically. Um, right. And then some other like perspectives were really important to me to get. So I went to like um, a veterans association, I interviewed people at a senior living center. I purposefully interviewed some children, um, refugees, etc. So um, I tried my hardest to get like a really great sampling, age-wise, uh, you know, socioeconomic, background-wise, mm -hmm. everything, um, because I was just really interested in, you know, having that sort of diverse landscape. But something that you learn when you do that is that even though our life experiences may be different in a lot of ways. It's like we're all kind of worried and consumed by the same things. Truly, mm -hmm. like there's like four human stories and they just go on repeating themselves. So interesting. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Would you ask the same questions to each person or did you kind of build the conversation like we're having right now? Yeah. Um, I had like a list of questions and some of them were borrowed from this article in the New York Times that came out years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think the article is called A Hundred Questions to Fall in Love. And they are specifically designed questions to like bypass small talk, which was really important <laughs> to me. Sure. So like I definitely had questions prepared, but I also like was following the flow of the conversation and kind of inserting them where they made sense. Right. Um, but yeah, one of the questions I would often lead off with, which sometimes really stunned people and they were like, Oh, okay. This is, like, <laughs> this is happening. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, what do you want people to not know about you? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. And um, yeah. So Basically, I, the record took me almost three years to make. Um, wow. And part of, part of the reason why that happened was I had a totally different manager in the beginning who had a different idea of how to make this thing come to life. And that kind of didn't come to fruition. And I had to find new ways, you know, to, to make this come to life. So, um, 
So yeah, I interviewed a hundred people and then I transcribed all my interviews as if I were them. So instead of saying like, Mary told me about her daughter who passed away, it was like my daughter passed away. So that was like the moment where things, where the transfer occurred, I feel mm -hmm. like between, instead of me like um, kind of writing about people's lives from a distance, I feel like I, even though like, let's be honest, like even your best attempt at like pure empathy, you're still viewing your life through your lens, even if you really try not to, you right. are. You know, right. but that, that was really like my best attempt at trying to write from someone else's perspective as if I were them based on what they told me. So, um, so yeah. And then, um, as I was transcribing, I was also writing songs and I wrote 30 songs for the record wow. and, um, they were kind of sourced in different ways. So some of them are like about reoccurring themes from my interviews like the topics that came up the most mm -hmm. um and then some of them are like more direct translations of a specific story and some of them are stories combined and so they don't they're not all like direct narratives um some of them you know are more thematic but um yeah it was a tremendous experience i put on a really special show for running in borrowed shoes that was kind of like a TED talk and a concert combined. And mm -hmm. the audience was really involved in this special way. Like one of my favorite parts of the show was that when people entered the door, they were given one of my questions that I asked in my interviews. And we asked everyone to write an answer on a sheet of paper. And that was put in an envelope. And before, like, the corresponding song was performed, these envelopes were passed out, and everyone in the audience got to read someone else's answer. Wow. Yeah. It was, like, really tremendous. It was what amazing. What a big, yeah, what a cool, yeah. Con what a cool concept. Every, uh, everything about that record, I love the idea behind it. I've never heard anything like that. It's so, so creative. Um, was it hard to get people to open up to you? No. Really? It wasn't because I think, um, you know, there's a couple of things at play. One, most of the people I interviewed, not all, but most of them were strangers. And I do feel like people feel safer telling something to a stranger than they do someone they know. Right. Why do you think, yeah. do you think that's because they're not going to run into you again and ju you're not going to judge them or is it like. I think it's a judgment thing. It's a safety okay. thing. Yeah. And also, I don't mean this in a negative way. This is just part of being a human being. But most of us like to tell our stories. And mm -hmm. we like when someone is interested, you know. And so I honestly felt that the most when I interviewed people who are living at the senior center, they were just so emotionally touched that someone who was young was interested in learning about their lives. And their lives were amazing, mm -hmm. you know. And sometimes people would say like, oh, like, I don't have anything interesting to share or I don't have, you know, a sad story. And I'm like, oh, I'm not looking for that. I'm just right. to know you. And um, yeah, so 
That's so cool. cool. So fast. Yeah. People's lives fascinate me. And that's like why I really wanted to start this podcast was really curious on how people got to where they are as far as like, you know, making yeah. it in the industry. Cause I was always a fan of music growing up and always wanted to be in a band and a rock star, but I knew that wasn't ever going to be achievable for me. Cause I just wasn't, that wasn't my yeah. gift, so to speak. Yeah, I so I made it myself. I could do the entertainment aspect of it as a radio personality and like get yeah. my, got to do it this way, but just learning about people and, and how they achieved things. Cause everyone has a different story and it's always oh, yeah. interesting to hear. And, and a lot, but like you said, there's always, there's like four reoccurring themes. I haven't noticed that, that I wouldn't be able to pin a number down, but talking to a lot of different artists, I've done like over 700 of these interviews and right. hearing similarities in a lot of people's <laughs> stories is so fascinating to me. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool that you were able to do that. Did you record them all or is it all, so you had like a tape recorder or something and then were these people, did they knew, know that they're going to be kind of anonymous? Yeah, so I did record them all. Um, I recorded them on my phone, just in my voice memos app. And uh -huh. everyone had to sign a consent form. So they knew um, that they were going to be anonymous and their information was protected. But they had to sign a form that said I could use inspiration from their mm -hmm. interview for a song. So, wow. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, it was a really special project. And I'm really, there were many moments that I was like, this is never going to get made. And I'm just so happy. Like sometimes I will be rummaging through my closet looking for something and I like come across a couple of CDs and I just like hold it in my hand and I'm like, wow, I can't believe that I made that because mm -hmm. uh, before this, I had this conception about myself that I wasn't a diligent person. And I don't know where that came from I think I like thought oh I can't stick to an exercise routine like I must not be diligent <laughs> and, um now in hindsight I'm like uh yeah uh, no that's not a good example of whether you can stick with something or not but right I was really most people can't stick right. to an exercise no. or a no. diet that's why no. everyone at the beginning of the year it's always like all right yeah. clean slate <laughs> yeah totally but um yeah, I had this like belief about myself that, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do something that was such a massive undertaking. So in a lot of ways, it was just, yeah, it was a very like re redeeming, powerful experience for me mm -hmm. to know that um, I could do something like that. And I didn't really have, I mean, I collaborated with a producer when we recorded the record, but I didn't really have any guidance and I didn't mm -hmm. have anyone motivating me to get stuff done. So I feel proud of myself that I was able to do that. Yeah. And anyone really kind of chiming in and saying, Oh, well, you should take this guy's story because it's very like, you, I don't, you know, it's like, you're going to oh. pick, pick and choose what you want to pick. And choose. Yeah. And I got to choose the song. Like I had input obviously from my publisher and team right. and stuff about what was going to go on the record, but ultimately it was my choice. And that was mm -hmm. really cool to have full creative control and um, have control over pretty much everything. So it's awesome. Yeah. I love you have this video on your Instagram, maybe it's on your TikTok too, but I saw it on your Instagram where you're like, here's an exercise. Like you're like flipping through a magazine or something and you point oh, it, yeah. and you're like, I think you're like, remember, okay, that's the word. And then you write this beautiful song or, you know, piece yeah. of a song just off that one word. Is that something that you do quite often? Um, 
yes and no. Sometimes okay. I do that just as a challenge to myself. Um, like when I was talking about those lulls where you're like, I don't feel like I have anything to write about today. I feel like mm -hmm. doing little exercises like that are kind of fun. But it's also just something that I do on social media as, you know, it's what I said before, which is like, there's this constant pressure to always be on social media as an artist and be this, mm -hmm. like, to churn out this content. And for me, like, um, I have to figure out how to be on that platforms in a way that A, feels authentic, but also doesn't make me hate them, the platforms. <laughs> right. So I'm just like, how can I have fun? Like, how can I be myself? And so I do those things kind of just for fun. Um, but... Yeah, I, I'm not very good at, at faking it, I guess. Right. So. But I think it's so, it's, it's very easy to see if someone's faking it or not. And yeah. you can tell if somebody's just trying to jump on the, whatever, you know, trend is being successful online at that moment. Right. So yeah. the people that make it and the people that create these viral videos aren't emulating something that had already happened 90% of the time. I would yeah, say. usually not. So, um, well, I'm curious to know when, well, you wrote beginning, middle and end. Was that pre pandemic or were we yes. in the midst of it all? Okay. So that was, yeah. So like it was written pre pandemic and then I think it was written in 2018, which is, nice. wow. I know. And then, we spent 200 or 200 2019 <laughs> working with the music supervisors and so they like they came out from LA to Nashville and we met them and saw footage and um a lot of that work fell more on Quinn because he you know produced the song and it was a lot of like little sonic changes and additions and subtractions and sure you have like more cooks in the kitchen and definitely is a longer process but um but then like the film was supposed to come out i don't know if it was supposed to come out in 20 i don't know it wasn't supposed to come out in 2020 because the second movie came out in 2020 but i think it was supposed to come out like earlier than it did but things did get pushed back because of the pandemic um, okay because they had they still had like things to shoot i think when production shut down so it was a very long process and I've said this before in interviews, but so films have so many people involved, like more so than television shows, I feel like. Um, oh yeah. You watch the credits and it's like 17 minutes of like people's right. names. And so it is very likely when you have a song placed in a film that it will get cut because like a film changes so much often in a span of time. Mm -hmm. You have so many cooks in the kitchen and so many opinions and like, it can easily be like one day the director's like in a different mood and they're just like, <laughs> oh yeah, let's just like scrap all this. Yeah. So, during that whole process, I was kind of, I don't want to say I was apathetic because I certainly wasn't, but I was like, trying to have not as much emotional attachment to that experience and the outcome because I was like, even though we're custom tailoring this and it seems like this is going to be it, I just knew that it was there was a possibility that someone could change their mind. So it was like a pleasant surprise when we're like, what, three months out from the movie coming out. I was like, okay, I think it's going to stick, you know? <laughs> um, so... So yeah, it was a very long process and I honestly, um, 
had no idea. I think, I mean, I was from, I was familiar with those films, but I didn't quite know, um, I don't know the, the nature of their following kind of, um, mm -hmm. and how emotionally invested people are in those characters. And so it was a really cool experience to sort of watch as the film was released, um, how that song was, I don't know, really associated with people's emotional investment in, in the story. So. And how big the song became. I mean, yeah. it has mil. I think I looked earlier on Spotify is like 24 million streams. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You, it's, you said it was, you know, top Shazam song and like surpassing like Olivia Rodrigo, who is like right. anything she does right now is like the biggest yeah. thing on there. And that's so really huge. Weird. Yeah. It was weird because, um, you know, I've always been kind of a more underground artist and mm -hmm. so my following i mean everything's relative right or subjective i guess but my following was like relatively small and you know i put on like small quiet shows and you know so to have something like that happen was pretty crazy and it was also strange because of the timing of when it happened which was like mm -hmm. you know because of the pandemic just a lot of things were limited like you couldn't celebrate with people in the same way and i probably would have gone to the premiere if i was you know if it oh was yeah that was taken from you i didn't think about universe. that yeah yeah i mean i wasn't um really emotionally hung up on that but the strange thing was is it felt like everything that was happening was just happening in my phone right like, because you know my life I was like out in my little farmhouse, like in my garden. And then like five minutes later, I'm doing press in the Philippines <laughs> in my living room. It was like <laughs> so strange. Like I, I don't, it was a very bizarre experience because like nothing felt tangible, I guess. It was mm -hmm. all just like in this other internet world. So it was very bizarre. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't think about that being because your life physically hasn't really changed much. You weren't like going to these premieres and doing these things and playing these huge shows. It's like, yeah, all this huge thing, all these huge things are happening and millions of people are hearing my song, but I'm just still sitting here in my house, <laughs> yeah. in my garden. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was strange, but I'm very grateful for that experience, obviously. And, mm -hmm. um, for the boost. So sure. it was cool. Well, tell me about this new EP you, you recently released, Love, Death, etc. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to release some music that kind of felt a little bit like a stepping stone for people who enjoyed beginning, middle, end. Because mm -hmm. um, even within kind of my the music I make under Leah, I think stylistically things can be pretty different. Like, I think my music can be kind of more indian weird sometimes um than beginning middle end so i wanted to release some more music um but i didn't want to give people whiplash and so this a lot of my records are kind of like i feel like maybe more of a hybrid between folk and pop sensibilities and i feel like this little ep is kind of more in a it's still like a left of center pop thing i don't i don't feel like it fits in like a top 40 category or anything like that but 
Um, sonically, it's like kind of this dreamy, this dreamy pop moment. And um, the record was named just for basically the themes of the record. So yeah, there's a song, there's a couple songs about love or lust. And there's a song about trying to process somebody's death. And then there's etc. is a, <laughs> just a wide category. But I felt like um, there's kind of a song about overthinking on the record. And that's, that's what I felt like felt fell in that category. Um, but yeah, it was fun to kind of experiment with some different sounds. And um, a couple of those songs were written a long time ago. So it's really cool to take something from the vault, reimagine it a little bit and let it have a life because mm -hmm. it probably wouldn't have otherwise. So it was really cool. And were, were the other ones written kind of recently or during the lockdown? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Clear My Head actually is the first self-produced song that I put on a record. So that's just wow. that I did. Yeah. Congratulations. That's really Thanks. awesome. Yeah. And it's doing well. I mean, yeah. the album's doing really well, too. That's yeah. awesome. I'm, I'm very grateful. So, um, yeah, I think. I don't know. One of my most favorite things in the world is just making things like the process of creating something. And so mm -hmm. I try to have this mentality where all my, all my joy and all my value rests in the making. And I really try not to have any emotional attachment for what comes afterwards. And of course, like, um, that's hard. You still do. But um, that's sure. kind of a mindfulness um, practice that I practice um, to help save my mental health with like being in this industry. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like everything else is extra. Like I love when people resonate with things and I love getting messages from people who have listened to something and it means something to them. That feels really good. But I have to always put the emphasis in in the making of it mm -hmm. yeah i love that well thank you so much leo for talking with me today i really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me it was really nice to talk with you i have one more question for you i want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists yes i have a lot of advice actually okay um yeah my number one thing would be um to think about what makes you different and lean into that um, I feel like the market is really, really saturated. And sometimes I get on Spotify and I listen to things and I feel like, like 50 different artists could have made that thing. <laughs> it's kind of what we were talking about before, which is that, um, like, you know, TikTok, TikTok is funny because I feel like it, in, on one hand, it like promotes insane creativity and it, mm -hmm. it allows people to like ha be on an equal playing field and then on the other hand it promotes copying basically sure right trends and so that bleeds out everywhere and so even though that's part of our landscape now i really feel like people who know who they are as artists like um i think that will give you the most satisfaction being in this business um if you are firm on on who you are and you know sort of what makes you different and what your strengths are and that you lean into those things 
So it's hard because a lot of times that's not rewarded or you have people in your ear telling you to not lean into those things, you know? Um, but that would be one of my pieces of advice. And another piece of advice would be to have another job until you don't have to. I like that. Yeah. I think like, Oh, I think a recipe for being miserable is when you put so much pressure on your art to like feed you basically. Um, and like artistic industries don't operate like other industries. Like your hard work is not always rewarded. And so it's just like creativity killer. I think when you have that much pressure on your shoulders, um, I've also found just in my personal life experience that I'm actually not more productive with more time. So I used to be like, oh, I, I only want a part-time job right now. Like when I, I had part-time jobs probably up until I signed my publishing deal and then I was able to, to do this full time. But mm -hmm. like I used to think, oh, like I, I can't have certain jobs because I'm not going to have time, enough time to work on my music. And um, w while a part of that is true for me personally, I learned that I was more productive with the less time I had. So if I had like seven hours in a day to write something, I would be almost less productive than if I woke up two hours early before a shift and I wrote something. So, um, so yeah, I think you just, I don't know, you'll have more peace in your life if some of your basic needs are covered and then you have time to make art. Um, my third piece of advice would be just to try to form an honest community with the people around you. Um, try not to make it a competition. Like we all need each other so badly and um, it's such a hard industry for um, to navigate and um, for mental health. And so I feel so grateful for the people in my life that also do this, who I can call like when I'm not doing well and I need advice or support and they understand like, it's nice not to have those guards up and be able to have that community with people. So, um...